Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. All right, hey, before we get started in our message, we're going to do something special today. You might be wondering why there's this golden hammer on the stage. Well, we do something around here called the Golden Hammy. And the Golden Hammy is given out to someone who has laid their life down to help build this church. They've served in ways that people don't always see. They've served hours and hours and hours just to see God do something incredible through this church. And we get the opportunity to celebrate somebody today who has done that from the very beginning who has served in really every capacity possible, has constantly looked for ways in which he can give his life to this church, believing in what God's called it to be. And this is his last Sunday with us. You know, Justin McLean, go ahead and come on up here, man. You know, Justin, <laughs> you know, his, it's his last Sunday with us because you know, when he was in college, right, you wanted to be a part of the Air Force, and felt like God told him to lay it down, and so he was obedient to what called, God called him to do in laying it down, and he just chose to give his life to others and to build the church and to serve people, and through obedience, God has opened up the door again. And on Wednesday, he's heading out to the Air Force, and so he's not going to be with us anymore, but we are so thankful for what you've done. We're so thankful for the way that you've served. We know that it hasn't always been seen, but we want you to know we see you, we love you, and we're grateful for you. Let's give it up for Justin. You know, often we call people like Justin OGs, you know, those original gangsters who have stepped in and done something that no one else was doing. They, they've made a way. You know, someone who's an original does that. They, they step into a, a moment and a time, and they do something that pioneers a way for others. It's not always celebrated as they're doing it. It's often not recognized until after they've done it that they get celebrated and they get recognition. But they're people that make a way for others. This, this next five weeks, we're going to be jumping into a series where, where we look at people that did that people that made a way for others. They weren't always recognized in their time, but what they did is they made a way. We're going to be taking five weeks, and we're going to be looking at, at five different books of the Bible that are called the, the major prophets and can be found in the Old Testament. And really what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at, hey, how did these books, not only what did they speak to the people of the day, but what do they speak to us today? How can we see God in them? Because they had powerful impact for the people that were living in that day, but they also have powerful impact for us right now. And we don't want to just gloss over them. You know, sometimes if you're new to the Bible, you wonder, why is it separated into two halves? Why is one called old and one called new? Should I be just reading the new stuff? Is the old stuff too old and I don't need to connect with it? See, there's, Jesus is meant to be found in every book of the Bible. And what we want to do is we want to take time to dig into it and say, God, how can we see you? How can we see you in every page of this? How can we see you alive and active and moving and working through it? Because that's what we believe God did. He was alive and active and working and moving. 
And we want to we take time to look at that. These first, these five books, the major prophets, it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They make up the prophetic writings in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a, a little history and, and Bible lesson here, okay? They make up the prophetic writings. So after the book of Psalms come these, these writings, not directly after, there's a few books in between there, but in the second half of the Old Testament, these prophetic writings take place. And there's 17 different prophetic books in the Old Testament, written by 16 different authors. God raised up 16 different prophets to speak to the people, because they needed a word from God. They needed to hear from him because something was going on in their day. And these are called the major prophets. And so you must be thinking if they're called the major prophets, then the minor prophets must not be all that important. And that's not true at all. The reason they're called the major prophets is just because they had more to say. So if, maybe if you talk more than somebody else, somebody could start calling you major. If you're silent, then we're still going to call you major. These books... You know, all 17 of these different books that were written were done in about a 400-year time period, from about 800 B.C. to about 400 B.C. These prophets were raised up by God because the people needed to hear something. There was a word that, that people needed. See, during this time, there was, there was constant crisis going on. There was crisis because... Globally, there was crisis. There were three different major empires that were going to rise and fall during this time period. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians were going to rise and fall. What that was going to do was create global crisis. When, when kingdoms would rise and fall, meant war, meant devastation, meant conquering. And the people of Israel were right in the middle of that. They were in this situation where, where there was chaos happening all around them. Not only was chaos happening all around them, but chaos was happening in their own country. Kings were rising and falling during that time too. Some were good, most were not. And so they were experiencing all this chaos, and not only to add to that, they also were experiencing internal chaos. Because the prophets were raised up to remind the people that, hey, God's called you to go this way, and you've wandered off this way. And so you need to come back to the ways of God. So there was just chaos happening all around the people, and the prophets were raised up so that they could speak a word to align them back to the ways of God, so they could walk in his ways, so that they could experience his blessing and his protection and his life that he had for them, because that's what he longed for them. And so he would raise up these prophets to speak a word, but so often they weren't necessarily listened to. See, today we're going to be dialing in on the prophet of Isaiah. And you might be thinking, how on earth are we going to cover an entire book of the Bible in 25 minutes? And we're not. We're going to cover the theme of the book. And we're going to dig into just one piece of it. See, Isaiah has a theme. And the central theme of Isaiah is that God is our salvation. That God is our God of salvation. That he's the only God. That that he's got people that he has, his heart goes after. And he wants to see them redeemed and restored and made whole. God is the God of salvation. God raised up Isaiah in around 740 B.C. It was during the, the last year of a king named Uzziah. 
And God raised him up, and he said, I've got a message for you to speak to a group of people. And for about 50 years, Isaiah would speak to the people, and he would declare what God was saying. Unfortunately, they weren't listening. And you might be wondering, why on earth would, a, would Isaiah say something? It'd be put in the Bible, and the people wouldn't listen. Let me say, have you ever read something at the wrong time? You know, I remember fresh out of college, I, I read this leadership book that didn't land because I had never led anything. And it was all these lessons about how to have a, a well-managed life when you're leading lots of things. And I read it and thought, this is going to be great one day. But I don't know what this means. And it just flew over my head. See, sometimes we hear the right message, but we can't receive that message. See, that's what was happening in that day. The, the right message was being given, but the people couldn't hear the message. And before we, we get on them too much, we have to understand what was going on. Why couldn't they hear it? You've got Isaiah screaming at them saying, guys, turn, repent. You're walking away from God. Trouble's coming if you don't. You would think people would perk up and go, oh, maybe we should pay attention to that. But on the other hand, you had other people who were saying, hey, I'm a prophet too, and you're doing fine. Everything's going great. Don't worry about it. Things are going to be all right. And the people looked at the two, and let's be honest. If you had one person in your life saying, hey, your life is a mess. You need to turn it around. And the other person look, looking at your life saying, hey, everything's perfect. Keep going for it. Who are you more likely to listen to? Most of us, unless we feel the pain of that moment, are more likely to listen to the person who tells us we're great, not the person who's bringing correction. And see, the people of Israel during Isaiah's day were not feeling the pain of their choices yet. See, I, the, the kingdom of Assyria was still in control, but it was in decline. They were starting to lose their grip on the world. And, and so maybe the, the enforcement they had was not quite what it used to be. And so the people were experiencing external peace. There wasn't a whole lot of war going on. There, it, was, it was relatively peaceful for their day. And so they were able to think, you know, we're doing fine. We're, to, we're totally okay. They started to forget that they needed a savior. They started to to do things that they, God had said, hey, don't do this. This is dangerous. This is going to lead you down a path of destruction. It's one of the things that they did that might seem strange to us now, but God had called the people to live set-apart lives. And so he had said, hey, don't intermarry between different cultures. Now, to us today, that seems a little strange. Like, because it's just, why would God say that? Well, back then, when that happened, what people did is they adopted the religion of the other culture. And God's saying, no, I've called you to be a set-apart people, so don't do this and dilute who I am and start following after other gods. And what they did is they started doing that. They started intermarrying, and they started, instead of looking to the one true God, they started making God in their own image. That's called idolatry. Today, we might call it humanism. It's what we can do today. We pick and choose what we like about God, and we make God in our image. Instead of remembering that we were made in the image of God, 
We were meant to reflect him. We don't pick and choose what we like and what feels good about God to us. We lean into all of who God is and we let him transform us so that we're, so that we're a reflection of him. But the people had stopped doing that. And they had started looking to idols. And whenever you look to an idol, whenever you make God in your image, what it always leads to is injustice. It leads to, see, because justice for me is not always justice for you. Me making God in my image is not always the God that you want to look to. And so injustice was abounding. And Isaiah is speaking to the people and he's saying, things have got to change. Things have got to change. So for the first Isaiah 66 books long, and I'm going to get into it here in just a second, but give me, let me give you a couple more bits of history here in Bible knowledge. This book is Isaiah 66 chapters, okay? The first 39, Isaiah's speaking to the people about things that are going wrong in their day, and he's trying to warn them and say, guys, there's trouble coming. You've got to turn. You've got to turn. There's trouble coming if you don't turn. Things are going to get bad. And then beginning in verse 40, God opens up to Isaiah a glimpse into the future, and it's incredible what he does. God shows Isaiah what it's going to be like for the people of Israel when they actually get exiled to Babylon. It's more than 100 years away, but God reveals it to Isaiah, and he, and he gives him words of hope for the people. See, because what it means that God is our salvation is it means that he's always with us in the good times and in the bad. He's with you. His promise to us is that he would never leave us or forsake us, and no, no matter the situation. Sometimes we think we can lose God, but God never loses you. He always keeps his eye on you. And so he wrote this to the people so that they would know, even in the dark days, that he was with them. And then the the last 10 chapters, Isaiah actually speaks to future generations. He speaks to us. And he speaks to those who will be brought into the kingdom of God who are not necessarily the Jewish people. It's to all generations who will call upon the name of the Lord. And he, and he speaks about the, the Messiah. And there's one particular passage I want us to look at today. Isaiah 61 that speaks to this. It speaks of the Messiah. And this is, might sound familiar to you, but Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was a word of hope spoken to a people that were going to need it desperately, even if they didn't know it yet. He was releasing to them hope in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, and saying, even in the midst of your pain, even when you don't know you need a Savior, I'm going to give you one. Well, history tells us that the people would discover they needed a Savior. They needed to be rescued. They would find that out. Assyria would fall. Babylon would rise. Israel would be destroyed. The temple would be burned. 
people would be drug off into exile and they would find themselves living in Babylon. They would find themselves reading the words of Isaiah, recognizing that the prophet was correct. That all those people who are saying, everything's fine, keep doing what you're doing. There's no problem with all the things that you're doing. The injustice that you're committing, totally cool. Don't worry about it. They'd recognize those people were wrong. And they would need a word of hope. They would recognize they need a savior. And, and here, this word was given. And they would look to it and they would say, we need a savior and a, and, and a savior is coming. And that's what filled them with hope for the Messiah. The Messiah, the one who would rescue and come and save them and, and make all things right. Well, we have the hindsight now of looking back and saying a Messiah would come. It took a lot longer than they hoped for, but a Messiah did come and his name is Jesus. And Jesus stepped in and in Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads the words of Isaiah. He reads the, the words of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He's in his hometown, and he walks into his place of worship. And since he was Jewish, it would have been a synagogue. And he walks in, and he picks up the scroll, and they invite him to preach that Sunday. And he picks up the scroll, and he opens it up to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read this word. And it would have been a familiar word to the people. It was a word of longing and longing of expectation because the people had realized by this point, we need a Savior. It's a different day, it's a different time, it's a different kingdom that's oppressing the Israelites. It's no longer the Assyrians, no longer the Babylonians, no longer the Persians, it's now the Romans. And they've recognized we need a savior. We need someone to step in and Jesus steps in in this moment. And he reads these words and it can be found in, in Luke chapter four. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after this, Jesus had a mic drop moment. He rolled up the scroll. He went and sat back down, and he looked at all the people, and he said, this word has now been fulfilled in your hearing. And you have to understand, that may not sound like a big deal to us, but this is nearly 750 years of prophecy that people have been waiting for a fulfillment of. Everyone would have known this word. This was not like, oh, cool, never really heard that before, Jesus. You're so clever. Man, I didn't know you were such a good writer. No, everyone would have known this was Isaiah's word, speaking about the Messiah, the Savior that was to come. And Jesus looks at them and says, the time is now. The Messiah is here. That favorable year of the Lord you've been waiting on is now. The Savior is here. And it would have blown their world. It's why they had a strong reaction to it, if you keep reading about it. About what, it's why they reacted kind of negatively to it, because it shocked them that Jesus would dare to say that, but Jesus would prove good on it. He would say, I am your Savior. I am the one that you need. I am the God of salvation. This is the favorable year of the Lord that we now live in. The reality for you, you and me, is that we still live in this favorable year of the Lord. God has come, he has saved, and he has redeemed us, and he has set us free. And because of that, we get to live in this, this season, this time that's called the favorable year of the Lord that means that we get to have a divine exchange take place. 
where before they didn't have that going on. There were sacrifices that had to be done in order to find themselves in right relationship with God. They had to follow hundreds of laws in order to just be able to be in his, his presence or even have the priest be in his presence. And, and there was all sorts of rules and regulations, but we don't live in that day anymore. We now live in the favorable year of the Lord where God comes and he takes it all away and he gives us something new. And I want us to take a look just at this Isaiah 61 again and see what happens when we experience the favorable year of the Lord. What that divine exchange actually looks like. Let's look at the words of Isaiah. Look at what Jesus said and say, what does that mean for us today? What does it mean? See, what, what Isaiah said, as he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And he, Jesus said, that's me. I'm coming. And the, the spirit of God is in me, on me, and through me. And I'm doing something incredible in this day. And it's unprecedented. And I'm coming to bring good news to the poor. We've all been poor. You may not feel like you've always been poor, but we've all been poor in spirit. See, because what that means is well, there was a price that needed to be paid that you couldn't pay. Jesus brought good news to the poor because he brought a payment that you couldn't pay. There was a life that needed to be paid for. See, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And because each one of us have sinned, the payment that we owe is our life. In order to be made right with God, there's got to be a sacrifice. And Jesus said, the reason I come to bring good news to the poor is I come to give my life for yours. I come to give you a divine exchange to take my righteous, holy, perfect life and I come to give it in exchange for you so that you could know that intimate fellowship and friendship with God once again. I come to bring good news to the poor. There's provision for you today. I don't know what everybody's story is when you walked in, but I think that's good news to somebody in here. Somebody walked in knowing that they, their life was not measuring up. Maybe you've wanted to be close to God, but you felt like your life has been chaotic and you can't make it right. Well, today's the day where God's saying, looking at you saying, it's time to make that exchange, my life for yours. You're right, you can't make it right, but I've already made it right. I've already taken all of your sin. I've already taken all of your shame. I've already taken all of that you've done and I've put it on myself. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sin, not part of our sin. And he, he paid the price. Today's the day, the opportunity, where you get to exchange your life for his. The brokenness of your life for the redeemed life of God, for the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as your sin. He sees you as the righteousness of God. That's what happens when we exchange our life for his. For some of you, if you've done that before, you said, you know, I've given my life to Jesus. Maybe you still view yourself as dirty, God doesn't. He doesn't view you that way. He views you as righteous because you've given your life and there's been an exchange that has taken place. And I believe God wants to, to break through in our hearts and minds today so that we see ourselves rightly, so that we see ourselves as he sees us because he came to bring good news to the poor. He came to bring good news to the poor. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. Did you know that we all have been wounded. That's not a surprise to any of us. <laughs> We've all been wounded in some way. And when Isaiah said, hey, he's coming to bind up the brokenhearted, and Jesus said, it's happening. It's in me. 
What it meant is he wanted to heal every wound that you would have and make you whole. He would want to take everything that would happen in your life and he would want to touch it so that it became a place of wholeness, not a place of wounding in your life. See, sin, what it does, whether it's done to us or we do it, it can leave wounds on us. And we walk around what it feels like with baggage, with, cha- with change, with, with open cuts and sores because of the choices that we've made in life or some of the things that maybe have been done to us and they have impact on, on everyone else. You know, maybe you grew up and whoever was most influential in your life was pretty critical. And it felt like nothing was ever good enough. That's a wound. When you feel like nothing's ever good enough in your life, you just, you can't do it enough. You know, the grades were never good enough. What you tried was never good enough. Your response was never good enough. How much you helped was never good enough. It was never enough. What happens is a wound is received. And that wound, if untreated, just like any wound, becomes infected. And it infects us. See, how that a wound where you don't feel like you're ever good enough, like what you can do is never good enough, what you do is you end up with an insecurity. And insecurity will often mask itself in pride. And so you may be a kid who felt like you could never do enough. It was just never good enough. The criticism was too harsh. And how you grow up to be is someone who won't receive feedback from anyone. Someone gives you feedback on how you can grow or how something can be better. It happens at work. And you may not verbally react, but internally, you write that person off. I don't want anything to do with that person. I'm never going to be good enough for that person. Really, what's happened is your wound has infected you, and you're acting out of an insecurity. And what God wants to do is he wants to bring healing. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted. He wants to step in, and he wants to say, you're good enough. You've been made clean. It's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. I don't love you from a place of what you're going to do for me. I love you because I love you. You're mine. And when we allow ourselves to receive the healing that God wants to give, when we say, God, you can touch my wounds. You can remove that infection. You can help me change. We find ourselves being healed, restored. The brokenhearted are being tended. He's binding up the brokenhearted. That's what it means to live in the, the favorable year of the Lord, that you can bring everything that you had going on to him, and he will heal and restore. It says he came to proclaim freedom for the captives. See, the next two verses that we're going to look at, we're going to look at each one of these. It says, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Those two things might seem similar. Captives and prisoners, what's the difference? Well, you got to remember who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to people that knew exile. See, people that would read the, the book of Isaiah would be those that were born into captivity. Exiles who Isaiah wasn't originally writing to in those first 39 chapters saying, turn, turn, turn. No, it would, it would be the kids and the grandkids of those people who were now born into Babylonian captivity who had never known a life of freedom. They had known a life of slavery. They found themselves in this place of captivity. Did you know that for many, that's something they've experienced? 
See, the Bible talks of this thing called generational sin. It says that there will be the sins of the fathers will actually have impact on their sons and daughters. You know, I was walking with a guy for a season, and he was fighting for sexual purity like no one I've ever seen. But he said, it just feels like it's always on my heels. That no matter what, this thing is always on my heels. And I'm fighting, I'm putting in boundaries, and you know, I'm doing everything I can, but it just feels like thoughts and, and, I, and, and lustful longings are always pursuing me, and I just can't escape it. And I don't know what to do about it. And this guy was, he was doing all the right things and he was actually walking in sexual purity. He wasn't looking at pornography. He wasn't sleeping around. He was living free, but it just felt like this thing that was always nagging on him, chasing him, coming after him, that he could, it just couldn't get away from it daily, daily, daily. And as we dug into more of his history, we said, hey, tell me about your life. And as he began to explain his life, he didn't grow up in a home where, a godly home where people were pursuing Jesus. See, instead of walking into the living room to find cartoons on as a kid, from the earliest age he could remember, he would walk in and there would be pornography on. For many of us, the coffee table books that we have are art and places we want to visit. For him, it was Playboys. From the smallest child, that's what he grew up with. He grew up in an environment where sexual promiscuity was thrown in his face, and he didn't know how to get away from it. The sins of his fathers had, were chasing after him. And he was doing everything he could to run free. And so what we did is we actually took some time to pray and say, you know what, you've got a new father. You've got a new daddy. And his household is very different than what you experienced. He actually loves to bring freedom for the captives. Those who are living in a place not of their own making. He actually loves to set those people free. See, the Bible also says, where it says the sins of the fathers will, will have an impact on the next generation, it also says those who pursue righteousness, that impact will extend to a thousand generations. And so he said, I want that. I want that promise. I want the righteousness of God to not only pursue me, but to go into the generations beyond me. And so he said, you know what? I'm breaking ties with this thing. And that may seem strange to you, but there's something supernatural about God. That when we say, you know what, I'm aligning myself with your ways and I'm breaking ties with any connection to sin in my past so that it doesn't impact my future and the future of those that, that will come after me. And so he said, I'm breaking ties with that thing. And he experienced freedom. And now his kids get to live in the environment of freedom because a captive has been set free. But there's also freedom from the darkness of the prison of our own making. See, it's not always that way. Sometimes it's the sin of our choosing that puts us in trouble. You know, I've heard more times than I can remember people say, I've just done too much. Thinking that somehow their sin is just too much for God. You know, I've heard a lot of believers, too, say, you know, this thing that I did, I'm just, that idea of feeling like they've got to work their way back to God. Maybe there's something in your life 
that is just lingering. Maybe it's some place of unconfessed sin. Maybe it's been confessed, but, but you feel like you just can't separate that thing. You can't break free of it. It's still following. Like you've got to work your way back to God. You've got to, you haven't been to church enough times to, to wipe out that wrong. And so you've got to show up and make sure you show up for everything so that, so that God will really love you so that you'll really be clean, so that you'll be really free. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he must have not known about this thing. See, that's sometimes how we live. The sin of our own making, we live thinking that God didn't know about it. That he didn't know about this thing that I was going to do. He didn't know about these thoughts that I was going to have. He didn't know about these words that I was going to say, this action that I was going to take. He didn't know about that. So I've got I've to make up for it. That's, the, that's called shame where we try to take the place of Jesus on the cross. We can't. We can't take his place. He's already taken that place. He's already wiped it out. Today, it's time to let go of the thing that you did, the choices that you've made. And you have to really receive, God's already paid for it. Like, really, just for a moment, stop and think, what's that thing that you've been hanging on to? that you've been trying to work out, I want you to know Jesus knew about it. When he died on the cross, he knew about it. He paid for it. He took it on himself. Full awareness. You don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. It's time to let the shame of that wash away. And really live free. No longer live in that darkness. When Jesus said he came to, to release those from darkness, those who are prisoners, it's that prison of shame that we live in. It's time to be free of it. Because he's already paid for it. This is what it means to live in the favorable year of the Lord. Is that God does this divine exchange. Isaiah would go on to describe a little bit more of it. This divine exchange, he would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of despair. God would come and he would exchange our brokenness for his wholeness. This morning, I think God wants to do that. And I'm going to invite us into a moment where I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to do something that may be a little scary for you. But I want to tell you a story first. You know, when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I was a drug addict. I used drugs every day. And I met God one day, and I've, I've never used drugs since then. And, it, and when people hear that, they think, wow. That must have been amazing. Actually, it was super boring. It was like the most unspectacular thing ever. It was about one in the morning on a Saturday night with my older brother who had been my partying mate, my, my, my drunk buddy that I would go and just live a wild life with. Well, God had met him in his place of need a few months earlier. And I went to go visit him. And 
as we were visiting and as I was spending a couple days with him, I saw that something was different. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was. We had grown up in church, but I hadn't been paying attention. And I could see that something was different and I wanted it. And I remember it was late one night and I looked at him and I said, what happened to you? And he just said, Jesus. And he said, if Jesus can do it for me, I know he can do it for you. Because both of us had had a messed up life. Not because of the environment we were raised in, but because of the choices that we had made. We were in a prison of our own making. And so we weren't these two powerhouse believers praying for breakthrough. No, we were two 20-something-year-old morons. I'm not like being silly about that. We really weren't anything special. And he prayed for me. And it was the most, one of the most supernatural experiences of my life. Yet it, there were no fireworks. It wasn't spectacular because sometimes the supernatural is spectacular. But oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes the supernatural is just very normal. It's God speaking a word in a moment and everything changes. He prayed for me in that moment. The prayer lasted maybe 10 seconds. And I've never touched a drug since that day. My hunger for God has not gone away. I've wanted to run after him all of my days since that moment. It was a supernatural encounter. It was a divine exchange. My life for his. And I believe God wants to do that this morning. So I want to ask you to take a moment and I want to just ask everybody in the room to close their eyes for a moment. And let's just walk through this. He came to bring good news to the poor. Maybe you need to make an exchange, your life for his today. If you've never given your life today, given your life to Jesus, today is your day to exchange your life for his. Say, God, I, I want to give you my life. I repent of my sins. I recognize I need you. And in exchange, he wants to take place. Maybe you've, as I was talking about wounds, there's some wounds that you've experienced that God wants to exchange your woundedness for his wholeness. He wants to bind up the brokenhearted today. For you, maybe it's, Something that it feels like it's been plaguing you. That story about the guy and the, the sexual sin is just connecting with you. And there, hey, there's something in my past. There's something in my family history that I want to break ties with that's just not righteous. It's not of God. And I want to be free of that thing. Maybe it's something of your own choosing. But today we're, we're going to believe in a divine exchange. And I want to ask you to just close your eyes and just sit there and imagine God with you. This is where engaging our imagination in this, we're engaging God, we're believing that he's gonna show up, he's gonna speak to us. And I wanna imagine you just giving him whatever you have. See, God's not afraid to receive your brokenness. He's not afraid to receive your mess. But God is good enough to take it from you and to give you something in return. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to facilitate this divine exchange. <laughs>